Welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we're here for our part two episode of Friday the 13th. We're a little late, yeah. but... Long promised, long delayed. <laughs> um, I have some uh, personal news I'd like to share. Okay. I got a new microphone. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> or, or a microphone. I didn't know if there was like some new personal news that was going to be a big surprise yeah, if only um but no i hope my voice sounds uh, better on this podcast i mean not necessarily my voice but just the general chris experience so i'm pretty excited about it i think it sounds great it's called a sure s-h-u-r-e microphone <laughs> <laughs> um so i highly recommend it i mean i guess depending on how the sounds maybe people may want to invest in it okay cool so what are we doing for tonight's podcast? Again, I just want we just wanted to acknowledge that we took a couple weeks in between by accident. It just happens. You know, we don't have a producer, believe it or not. We don't well, have I, a I kinda think you're the producer. Okay. Well so I am the producer. That's right. not that's not great. Well for you do a great job. The podcast. On it. Thank you. It's just a little delayed. Well, we um, had I, Halloween. We had the election. Yes. We had a week of election. Oh my gosh. We had anxiety. We had you had some comedy shows. Yeah, my kids are home all the time. Yeah, I mean, last night I was like, let's just abandon all responsibilities and record a funny podcast. And she said, no, I have to teach my kid math. (laughs) And I felt really bad about it. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of movies. I I know we're not doing it what we've been watching, but... But what have you been watching? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we have to talk about The Queen's Gambit. I know. Did you finish it? I loved it. Yes. Okay. I absolutely love it. Anya Taylor Joy. I mean, that's that's our girl. That's the witch herself. She sure is. She's so good. And the kid from Love Actually slash Game of Thrones. Yeah, Dudsley from Harry Potter. Right, who just keeps popping up everywhere. Um, <laughs> but I loved the, um, the, you know, the Bucky or whatever his name is, the kid with a knife. What's yes, name? yes. No, ben, Benny. Uh, Benny. Benny, my dog's name. I should fucking remember ah. that. Well, you did remember it. Some of the criticisms I saw about this show was that like it was in the 60s and she's a woman in a man's field and it wouldn't have been it was would have been harder for her than it than it was portrayed and i just think that i have seen way too much of that like i know it was hard for women i know it's hard for women now and it was still hard for her i mean she still i don't think it was portrayed as like an easy journey that she had but i like that the it was uplifting yeah because i was so worried like oh great so who's gonna molest her here right yeah the whole show i was uh, i was kind of expecting all those you know pennies to drop you know like when she goes to the orphanage you know like well obviously it's a show set in orphanage this isn't gonna be good and it's kind of okay i mean it's not great but she makes some friends and i mean she gets a drug habit but yeah i mean the sad thing is mostly about her just not being adopted and the her friend not being adopted and her just being a little weird but then yeah. when she gets adopted, I think, okay, God, this mother's oh, here we terrible. go. Yeah, <laughs> and it was just yeah. so nice to not have that, right. and not have to have this strong female character somehow have to get over being molested or being raped or being sexually assaulted. There's plenty of other things to worry about, and those things are very important and happen 
all the time. But this is a fictional story. One way I thought about that was because it's the world of chess. So that, um, I guess, maybe the idea is that they're all a little bit of outcasts. None of them are completely sure themselves or, I mean, Benny's somewhat overconfident, but he's also just in normal circumstances, a huge dork. I mean, he <laughs> walks around carrying a knife. He's kind of awkward looking. I mean, he's cute, but you know, come on. So it's right. not like he's not like, not like she's trying to play football or something. So maybe that's a difference. So right. I, I get, I guess I did expect that to be kind of the story is like, Oh, this woman in a man's world. And, uh, but it just doesn't do that. I mean, that's all sort of, I suppose, somewhat in the text, but it's just not really what the show's about. It's about her as a character you know, what is it like really being a child prodigy, I suppose? Like, what is that? Right, do to you? right. Um, Especially the, all these other circumstances of losing parents and going through all these other things. And on top of being this child prodigy, I loved seeing a woman as her own worst enemy instead of her having to be fighting against the patriarchy. I don't know. I loved it. I thought it was great. Eventually, like it starts off in fairly, here I go with my color bullshit. But it starts off in fairly <laughs> muted tones at the you know orphanage and this and that. But, but by the halfway through, and especially by the time she gets to Paris and Moscow, which is the most gorgeous show oh, on yeah. TV. Like, it's so well made and all the dresses and all the outfits. You know, there's it's, sometimes it's like, oh, you're like, it's like you're watching Mad Men. Or in addition to being funny, interesting, greatly acted, um, it's made me start playing computer chess again, which I, I can tell you about <laughs> that odyssey. But it's also just stunning to look at like uh particularly in the latter episodes like you know the real yeah the netflix 4k whatever it really really pays off <laughs> so two thumbs up okay so before we get into our true crime because i do have a true crime that goes with friday the 13th we had talked last episode about our final girls and ranking them yes some of them who we did not allow in your kind of ruling was that if they join the evil at the end if they are part of the problem by the end then they don't count so that when i listened to the entire episode (laughs) on that part i I was even surprised at myself like what are the rules and then like i would tell myself the rule and i would think yeah you you like rules it's okay but i I do like that i felt i was consistent uh because i still think if danny had been allowed in i think she would be have been in my top three but she was not allowed in and that's fine so and then i also made the Twitter poll with the final girls that we allowed in. And again, these are the final girls from the movies that we have reviewed that passes Chris's test. So it's a very specific <laughs> final girl list. <laughs> so we had Ellen Ripley from Alien, Sigourney Weaver, Sally from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street, Lori Strode from Halloween, Alice from Friday the 13th, Sydney from Scream, and Gail from Scream. Was that all of them? Uh, yes. Well, did you say Sarah from The Descent? Oh, right. And Sarah from The Descent. And so on our poll, we had a tie between Sydney Prescott from Scream. Yeah, we had a three-way tie, we should say. Yeah. Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street and Ellen Ripley from Alien. Well, I was kind of surprised by who I decided that my top would be. Well, who's your top? Okay, well, I'll tell you my list, my top three. Number three, I would say Sally from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And there's really no good reason. Like, she doesn't really fight back. She kind of screams and runs away, but she gets away. Well, the the 
iconography of Sally is wonderful too. You know, again, she meets the criteria of being covered in blood, screaming. She's a great screamer. That go that carries a lot of weight for me. I think what really sealed it for me was at the end when she just starts laughing. Yeah. Because I definitely think that that's something that I would do. You finally get out of the situation and you you just can't even take all the emotions and you just start laughing. Number two, Laurie Strode from Halloween. A lot because I, just, I like Halloween so much and I like the look of it. And I like the look of Laurie and the way they make her one way and then it turns that she's actually like a badass. I do kind of, she loses points because she does at some points drop the knife and lay it on the couch and she kind of, but she pokes him, she like fashions a weapon, right? And pokes him in the eye. So, okay, so Lori. And my top one, which I was surprised, is Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Because she doesn't take shit. No shit. Ever. Boss is trying to dip around. Boss is trying to dip around. She plans ahead. Mother. (laughs) (laughs) She's also fighting like the scariest thing. She's fighting her dreams. She's fighting something that she can barely control. And so that is my, my list. Okay, well, I'll do my list. And I I will say, uh, to start with, I've excluded from myself Ripley from Alien. Okay. Although I, like, I love those movies so much that I feel like I'm like other territory besides the normal horror movie territory, if that makes sense. It'd be like me talking about Star Wars or something. Like, I love Alien movies. So I feel like I have to take that emotion out of it. Okay. Well, I kind of took Ripley out of it, I think, because, I mean, I thought she was a great final girl. She's obviously very tough. I think it still just bothered me that it was creatures. Oh. Well, yeah, like that's a was- good point. That's a good point. And also, it's I would still contend she's the final girl of a sense. But the whole, all the sci-fi stuff, the mythology of it, it, it is a little bit different territory. Um, right. So anyway, okay. I've, well, I've, I've mainly excluded for emotional reasons, as if it's almost okay. unfair to pick her. <laughs> um, but otherwise, she'd be number one with a bullet. So my number three is um, Sydney Prescott from Scream. Okay. Without really any hesitation, although I do allow that she's sort of a amalgam of all these other final girls, but she does it so well, and it's Neff Campbell, and she's perfect, and she's a, you know, she's a great final girl, and uh, there's nothing better than watching her run around the last half hour screaming, like, be awesome. And also, the way she, the way that she turns the tables on the two killers, at, at least, I'm talking about the first movie, really, um, is really well done, and um, convincing and not in a sort of shallow kind of girl power type way, but in, a, in like in a actual, like, you know, sort of fuck you to this. If you take the horror movies approach to, or Wes Craven's approach to her as almost like the revenging force for all these other females that have been killed in these other movies, is pretty empowering. Yeah, that's true. I do have a hard time just getting over Nev Campbell and her acting. I know that's a, a typical thing to say, but I, it, it does, I don't hate it. But it is still something that I think is a bit of an acquired taste. And I, and I love Scream. I think she's great in the Scream movies. Yeah. But, you know, I grew up watching Party of Five. And she was just kind of a grading on that show to me. And uh, I don't know. I think it's a bit of bias on my end. No, and that makes total sense. Like, the way I think about Neff Campbell, I suppose, is the way I think about, like, Molly Ringwald in the 80s movies. Like, she's such a... Not that she's dated or something and that she's not a great actress, but she's also, admittedly, a bit of a... She's of a time and a place. 
Which right. is why when I watch The Stand, I'm like, oh, it's Molly Ringwald, the greatest actress ever. And other people are like, <laughs> what are you talking about? That's how I feel about Nev Campbell and Scream. She's just awesome. But I, I, I suppose that maybe that wouldn't really work so well outside of um, maybe 1997 or whatever. So that was my long one in number three. Number two is uh, Laurie Strode. Uh, I won't oh. say yeah, I won't say much as, as much about that because I thought you did a good job with that one. But I mean, generally, I agree. And I mean, obviously, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, iconic. And I guess I'm also folding in a little bit of the sequels to my thinking. But that first movie is so perfect, and she's so so great in it, and so identifiable. I mean, I know we make fun of like why she was a little bit more concerned when there's a stranger outside our house for half the goddamn movie uh, in a mask. You know, we were even talking about in the Friday the 13th movie about how the last episode about how these characters were surprisingly likable, you know. Right. Um, I mean, not like they're winning great characters, a lot of depth or anything, but more so than you kind of uh, expect from the reputation for these movies. I think last time I said, well, I'm not sure what happens in the future movies. Well, now I do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the characters get, uh, yeah, it does be kind of come that cliche of like, you know, teenagers that just really need to die because they're annoying. Okay. Um, but anyway, so Jamie Lee Curtis is, you know, beyond the pale, a great character. You know, she like take the greatest qualities of the Friday 13th characters, you know, the Alice, I suppose. And she just, she has the nicety and and you kind of like her. Plus, she's a fully developed character, I think. So I, that's one reason why I think Halloween is just on another tier than the Friday 13th movies, as much as I, as I love them. Okay. Um, so Laurie Strode is my number two. And number one uh, is Nancy. Yay! From Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, for all the reasons you said, just absolute badass. You know, the gray hair, the fashion, the sweaters. Um, she's And also, you know, I know we talked about Jim Lee Curtis, and, uh, but she's one of the first kind of final girls in a way. Not too far into the, you know, early 80s we're talking about now. So yeah, she's kind of yeah. early on in the this conversation. So I feel like she deserves a lot of credit and when she does come back for a sequel she comes back for two very good sequels okay and they do interesting things with her they don't just unceremoniously kill her off like well in some other final girls um so that goes to my thinking a little bit too and uh, i and also like that heather langenkamp still does like the conventions and she still talks about it and she's you know proud of it uh nancy is my number one final girl awesome for sure so we had our, the same number two, number one. Oh, yeah. I guess that was as interesting as I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, so I did watch Friday the 13th Part 2. Okay. I wasn't sure which one of these of these I've seen as a kid. And I, this one I think I've seen a couple times as a kid. Because it, it seemed very familiar. Especially the kills and stuff like that. And this, so this starts with Alice. Spoiler. This movie came out a long time ago, but... Starts with Alice being killed. Pretty brutal killing, too. I always like a like a knife to the temple. That's scary. There's a head in the fridge, and so it starts out with a bang, I'd say, and then it does. Well, as he, as he pointed out by text, it actually starts out with like ten minutes of the previous movie. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> it's her having a dream of exactly what right. happened. A dream of watching the funny. you know the master cut of Friday Thirteenth right. in, in the editing room or something. <laughs> Um, but, I mean, it does definitely follow a formula. The final girl in this is very forgettable. I couldn't tell you her name. Oh, I, do, I disagree. No. Oh, really? That's Amy Steele. She's great. Okay. I know the actress's name, apparently. Oh, my gosh. I think she's one of the better final girls. Um, 
in that in that series i mean in the friday the Friday series. if we're gonna say the part three final girl is forgettable i, I i'm with you on that one because i literally forgot who it is <laughs> um, okay but i like the one in part two but that's okay you, you can have your opinion i'm not gonna there's much more tna there is that's when the I tna kind of starts yeah yeah i mean it's 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 a little ridiculous but i still think it's enjoyable yeah there's enough good deaths so half the people stayed at the bar and they were okay quite a few quite a lot of them yeah yeah so that was interesting yeah so that kind of goes against the sin factor so he doesn't have his mask yet but he puts a burlap sack on his head which we had mentioned was a reference to i can't the texarkana murder movie i don't know what it's called night down night down at sundown that was the most unique title of any movie we've done you cannot remember it's <laughs> I know. The, the town that dreaded sundown the town that dreads Sundown. that's a great title i don't yeah. know why i can't remember it so what were they trying to do with the legend so he didn't die as a kid okay so good question Okay, because if he didn't die as a kid, why is the mom so mad? I feel that the idea must be that he survived. They all thought he died, but he survived somehow and lived on his own in the woods for 20 years. I mean, that's the only thing that kind of makes sense. The other thing, but when I was a kid, I just thought, oh, he came back from the dead. Because that's how you know, I didn't really think too much about it. But watching him again as an adult, it's like, well, they don't really establish that. I mean, I know once you get to Jason Goes to Hell, there's, this whole other, <laughs> there's all kinds of nonsense, but... Um, I feel like the idea is that he somehow survived. He's clearly deformed, but I guess he's always kind of been that way. Right. To some extent. And he, because they show his little house out in the woods, which is kind of cute. <laughs> right. yeah. But it's gross. I just like the idea. It made a little house. Yeah. And he has like an altar with his mom's yeah. head still on it. The kind of more interesting reading is to think about it is like, what if the mother knew that he survived and she was out there with them and she just sort of made up this story that he's, that he was killed uh, because maybe she doesn't like the fact that he's a, a monster. Or maybe she just really wanted to kill people. Yeah, that, that too. And she um, wanted a good excuse. There's that campfire scene where uh, the kind of main camp counselor that's getting this all together is telling the story of Jason. And, and that, that's kind of where the legend first starts. And I feel the way he presents right. it is maybe the way we're supposed to um, take it, which I think he says, like, he survived all those years. And um, although he doesn't really explain whether the mother knew or not. That's kind of why the original filmmakers didn't want to do the sequel. They thought it makes no sense. Because <laughs> right. um, it was supposed to be a slasher movie based on some kind of you know, realism, but it wasn't supposed to be some more sort of supernatural hmm. thing, which it kind of eventually becomes. But I would love to know, that I don't think there's a gatekeeper of those movies I could even tell you. Like, it's so many different people with so many different ideas. I don't, I don't think there's really a through line like there is in the Halloween movies or the Nightmare movies. Right. Well, it's interesting with the Halloween movies, you know, when they came back and made Hall the new Halloween, they said the other Halloweens didn't happen. Like they took it from just the first Halloween. Oh, yeah. Kind of like in Jurassic Park, like in Jurassic World, when those Jurassic World movies start, they start based on only the first movie. Really? Like, Is that established? Like Yeah. Lost World and... Jurassic Park 3 never happened because in the I've watched the, these so many times like I so am ready to discuss the Jurassic World so because in Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 there's two islands there's Isla Nublar where everything happened and then there's Isla Sorna but in Jurassic World there's no Isla Sorna like that's not, a, not another island that's out there because in Jurassic Park 2 Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 that actually takes place on Isla Sorna 
there's a second island because in, if you had in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, you know, the, the volcanoes are going to explode. If the option could have been just move these dinosaurs to Isla Sorna, oh, but that yeah. doesn't exist. So anyway, the sequels are only based on the first movie. It's kind of like the new Halloweens. So are we going to just do Jurassic Park movies next? Can Please. Just... I would. I need Let's to talk about them. Let's just do that. And Do all the Jurassic. Can... Why not? Fuck it. Or <laughs> Anna can be a special guest. That'd be fun. So you've done, uh, gone through Friday the 13th part two. I've gone through part six. <laughs> I guess so watching that many of them in a row, I, I do get where the sort of uh, the um, critiques come from as far as like, oh, it's, they're all about um, they're somewhat prudish and they're all about people that have sex and do drugs oh, and get okay. killed. And, okay. um, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I will say that at some point the filmmakers aren't really maybe putting as much thought <laughs> into what they're putting out there as, as uh, maybe they should have. Okay. Part five was legit terrible. I, I watched all these movies. I have, you know, have all these memories from my childhood, as you do. <laughs> and so when I watched part five, I that was I was having all these flashbacks. That was the very first Friday the 13th I saw at my friend Jason's house, which why their parents, when I was eight, showed me a movie with all these titties everywhere. <laughs> I have no idea. I can't imagine. Um, but I, I just I just kept having this sort of um, sense memory yeah. impressions of stuff. That had nothing to do with the movie. Um, so th- there's this wave of nostalgia that came over me. Like I was just in my old friend's little den watching movies when I was eight years old. So that was fun. Although the movie. Oh gosh, that's, that's going to make me tear up a little bit. It was, it was, it was amazing. The movie itself, atrocious. Um, <laughs> but then part six was really good. So I, I think the legacy of those movies is like every other one is good. I forget how it works. Oh, interesting. Um, but I, I do enjoy them. And Jason's a great... Uh, character i don't know what what is he a killer i guess i mean he's not a really good character uh, watching those as an adult he's not as interesting as say even like michael myers um hmm. which has to me has some genuine kind of mystery to him where jason as we were just talking about has no real coherent right. <laughs> storyline really um, although, yeah we know michael myers killed his sister as a kid i mean that's like already like what right compelling and he didn't talk for 20 years and he was terrifying one of the mental institution and, and then then he escaped and that's oh that, and that's what you start with and and that's interesting whereas jason the camp counselors are like he's alive i guess and we don't <laughs> like there's just never <laughs> well, really the a, final girl like in uh, part two was very defensive of him like yes, he yes yeah, could that, be out there yeah. and this and it's like what are you talking about first of all there was no evidence that he is alive it seems pretty clear he drowned and she's like very on his side but that's the most in all the movies i feel the most they even really get into like what jason's about or whatever the rest of the Mm. time he just kind of you know there and you know and he's definitely i think he's definitely a very 80s macho kind of like a rambo type killer that a lot of young boys like me love because he's just kind of like a badass but yeah as a interesting horror icon watching them as adult with all due respect jason <laughs> he, he, i don't know if he really holds up as well as much as i love these movies he's just not that scary you know hmm. whereas you know even the lesser halloween movies michael myers is always just kind of fundamentally creepy you know but that is something that i didn't like about the newest halloween movie is that jamie lee curtis her character of laurie strode has been living her entire life in fear you know i just didn't that just made me so sad yeah. That her whole her whole life has been fucked up. Her marriages, her relationship with her daughter has been fucked up because of one night that happened so long ago and the guy's 
been in prison, but she just knows he's going to get out. It's just like... I think we talked about this before, but that only kind of makes sense if all the other sequels had happened, if she was just continually, continuously right. terrified. But like you said, if it's just that one night, it's like, eh. Yeah, get <laughs> was, over it. You were 17 and you had a bad babysitter experience. <laughs> okay, and all your friends died. Fine. but Very sad. You found them in the closets. Okay. <laughs> I guess it is pretty bad, but... Um, but yeah, that is one thing where I don't think they realize removing all that other, those other movies kind of diminish, kind of doesn't make as much sense with her being like this. Like when you get to like, like Ripley's example, when you get to Alien 3, she's like borderline catatonic <laughs> and right. just doesn't give a fuck or anything. And that's because she's gone through all that shit in the first two movies. Okay. So should we do a true crime? Yes. Let's do a true crime. I do feel a little bad. If anyone's about, still sticking around. Yeah. Now that I've basically said Jason's a bad horror movie character in our second Friday 13th episode, yeah, I hope you're still sticking around. Saw some places someone said that this was used as inspiration for writing this. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think I saw the creators talking about this particular true crime, but it's a good one and you can see how it might tie to it. But so this is the Lake Bodon murders from 1960. So this takes place in Finland. We're a little outside of Helsinki, and it's June 4th, 1960. And two 15-year-old girls, Malaya Bjorklund and Anya Maki, go out with their 18-year-old boyfriends, Sipo Boysman and Niles Gustafsson. So they decide to go camping on the shores of, I guess what they call their uh, Bodomavari, or what we would call it, Lake Bodum. Hmm. Okay, so they arrived by motorcycle and set up their tents. They sat by the fire that night talking and eating what you do when you go camping, which again, I have, I love the idea of camping and I have not done it yet. I have my big tent, but I haven't ventured that far. So anyway, they go to bed about midnight, sometime between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. Malia... Anya and Sipo are stabbed and bludgeoned to death. Oh my god! The did you know that this was gonna something bad was gonna happen? Well, I don't know if I me mean, true crime. <laughs> <laughs> I know it'd be funny if it someday I'm just gonna trick you and just yeah. tell like a really happy story. Yeah. The only survivor that night was Nils. So two boys who were out bird watching heard some noises before six a.m. and then they say they saw a blonde man walking away. From the tent. With a hockey mask? <laughs> yes. He had a machete. <laughs> they saw the kids' motorcycles, and they saw Niles, uh, who looked like he was like sleeping on top of the tent, but they didn't get close enough to tell what kind of happened. They didn't want to bother the campers. So it wasn't until around 11 a.m. that a jogger came by and actually saw the bodies. And so the police didn't arrive until noon so this has been a long time that these bodies have been out there and have been dead the only other witness was another boy who was out fishing who also says he saw a blonde man around that 6 a.m time but i'm just very impressed with these people out so early i would never okay so niles was found alive but had sustained a fractured jaw a concussion broken facial bones and a deep wound on his cheek uh, Anya and Sipo were found inside the tent. Malia was found on top of the tent, naked from the waist down. 
And she had been the most violently murdered. She had been stabbed 15 times in the face and the neck. She was stabbed after she was dead. It sounds like one of those passion crimes, you know, where sometimes they they catch the killer based on how much damage is inflicted to a certain person. And it happens that Niles was Malia's boyfriend and Niles survived. Okay, so there's already suspicions against Niles. Sipo and Anya were the other couple. Sipo had blunt trauma to his head and died from a hemorrhage from a puncture to his lung with whatever knife this person or persons used. Anya had head injuries from a blunt object, probably a rock, that were enough to cause her death. So the police get there. They start investigating. They see that some like some of their wallets, some clothes and personal items had been taken. Some were found nearby. No murder weapons were found at the scene or were ever found, actually. The keys to the kid's motorcycle had been, been taken, but not the motorcycles. This was all the strange things. So this is really creepy. This also reminds me of Blair Witch. So the kids had been attacked through the tent. So the attacker cut the tent ropes and then just started like stabbing blindly into the tent. So it reminds me of Blair Witch Project, the scene <clears throat> when the tent gets destroyed and they run out. And then we talked about the true crime that I tied with that, which was the Love Pass incident where they found the tent had been torn from the inside. So the people were trying to get out. And again, so the two bodies were found inside the tent. Like they never even got out. And then two were found on top of the tent. Niles and Sipo's shoes had been taken and they were found about a half a mile away. One pair was in the road and one was hidden like in a hole. And it appeared that Niles' shoes had been worn during the murders. And you can see a picture of these too. We'll have to post a picture of where they could see the blood splatter. Again, so we're saying that At this point, Niles is still a suspect. Could he have been wearing his shoes and then caused all these murders? Or could these murderers have come along and put his shoes on? Like if he had left, maybe they were, he had them off because he was probably sleeping, right? So I don't know. Anyway, a pillowcase was found with blood and semen on it. And this will come back into play later because again, this is 1960. (laughs) They have no DNA. But they saved all this stuff. The tent, they, you can see pictures of it too. So, But the police are investigating. They also did fail to cordon off the area. So they had a lot of looky-loos came and kind of destroyed the crime scene. So I'm sure a lot was lost. Again, I think I reference this every time we do an old, an older crime. The John Mulaney bit when he talks about what they do back then. They were just like, ooh, look at all that blood. Clean it up. <laughs> and so Niles goes to the hospital he is recovering. He claims he remembers nothing from the ta- from the attack. He was hypnotized, and some details come back. He describes people screaming, so seeing this, blood. This, this is in Finland. Yes, that's just funny. Like, do you think that's like in their police crime manuals? Like, number step two, hypnotize them. <laughs> <laughs> hypnotize the witness. Well, they actually couldn't use any of this in court. Well, I hope not. Which, it sounds sketchy as hell. I know. I know. But he did give a description of the attacker. He described him as with this blonde, long blonde hair combed back. I mean, like down to like large hands and fingers. He even described what clothes he was wearing. I mean, it does sound sketchy, but they're, the sketches that they made from Niles are close to 
how the the kids who saw this blonde man. Now, I'm not sure if Niles saw those before, you know, he made this description. The sketches are creepy. Again, I'll post a picture of them on our Instagram. Like the guys have, the guy has like big alien type eyes. And when you look at it, you're like, well, no one looks like that. But they have a picture from the funeral of the kids and they have a creepy guy with like big eyes who who looks like he's wearing a mask or something. He's not like that's his face, but it looks like the sketches. It's very distinct and it's very creepy. And so we'll post. I'll post those pictures too. So this is all the information they have. And so these are the suspects that they have in Finland in 1960. So one is, and I, I don't know how to say Finnish names. So that's these okay. are just going to come out as they come out. Penti Soinanen was in prison for several violent crimes, and he confessed to the crimes 10 years later. Uh, he would have been 15 at the time of the murders, and he said that he like cut school and went out to the woods and found them and watched them and then murdered them that night. But none of this really added up, and it seemed like he was just making this up for attention. And he ended up hanging himself in prison later. Then there was also a man named, his last name was Gilstrom. He lived nearby and he hated the noise of the campers and those young kids out there. He called it camp blood. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> it was pretty much like, seemed like a bit of a... Some crazy Ralph action. A little crazy Ralph. Okay, so his wife was his alibi the night of the murders. She later came back and said that she lied about it. And then in 1969... He apparently made a drunken confession about being the murderer. And he later drowned in the lake. Did he? But did he have long blonde hair or anything of that nature? He looked similar to the guy, not as much as this next guy. But there is another um, journalist named Johansson who wrote a book in 2016 saying that Gilstrom was the murderer and that everyone in the town knew it. But they were too scared to say. I think it's, it's a lot of hearsay, it sounds like. But I think the, the guy who wrote the book lived in that area as a kid. So the next guy, his name is Hans Osman. It's it's Assman, Chris. It's A-S-S-M-A-N. Okay? Well, that's, yeah, just, that's Assman. Okay. But he's the killer? Well, no. We don't know. So this is another guy, Hans Osman. I'm sure that's how you say it. He was an alleged KGB spy. He said that he served in the SS during World War II at Auschwitz. He was a very violent person. And he also was a suspect in other murders, including two girls who were camping. He also was a suspect because he showed up at the hospital the day after the murders. They said he was nervous. His fingernails were all black. He had a red substance on his clothes. He, like, pretended to pass out at the hospital. Like, it seemed like he was feigning an illness. It was all very, very weird. He lived near the murder site, and he looked... This guy looks a lot like the description. But he did have an alibi that night. He was with his girlfriend, and the detectives didn't look too much more into it. I think that's one of those things where it just... It seems like it's perfect, but it just... It was just a bunch of weird coincidences. Now, and I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but I just kind of like watching and reading um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, you know, how they would have 
a suspect who they just thought was so perfect. He had to be the Golden State Killer, you know, and they follow through with it. And then the DNA doesn't match. I think, or even in Zodiac, you know, there was a few uh, suspects who Robert Grayson just thought this, this is it. It has to be. And then somehow it wouldn't pan out. And, and he did believe that he knew who it was at the end. But even that could have been a coincidence. The last suspect we have is Niles Gustafson, who was the one survivor. And he went on to live a normal life until 44 years later, mm. in 2004, he was arrested and tried for the murders, which is... The murders? Wow. Fascinating. The murders. So the prosecution stated that he killed everyone in a fit of anger, and then maybe it was premeditated. It doesn't make sense really why you would go... Do they think he started with the girlfriend and then he... They thought that he started a fight with Sipo first, and that, that became physical, and then his anger came from there, and then he ended up taking out all of this anger on his girlfriend. But the defense said that two or more people did these murders. There was too much involved. But when you look at the pictures of these kids, especially the picture of Niles, like he really does just look so young. And it is kind of like, could he have murdered three people? Also, this is when the DNA from the pillowcase came back into play. Some reports said that it was someone else's, but some reports said that the only DNA found was from those four people. So I don't know if that just didn't come out. Maybe it wasn't public during the murder trial. But also the defense said that the state he was in, he could have put his shoes down a half a mile away and what happened to all the stuff that was stolen it was never found you know where would he have put it so he was actually acquitted due to lack of evidence and paid forty four thousand dollars for being falsely arrested oh that's nice we don't do that in america no we don't do that not even if you're well sometimes if you get out of jail i guess they do that but well central park five that was a nice thing that they got a good settlement even though it doesn't really take away the pain and the what they had to go through but so in 2014 there was a movie from hungary called bodum which was the first found footage movie from hungary Mm. which is interesting and it was based on the murders it was two media students who do an investigation on the 50th anniversary of the murders, and I suppose bad things happen. And it's all caught on video. And then in 2016, there's a Finnish movie called Lake Bodum, which looks a lot like a kind of like an art house Friday the 13th movie. And I did love the tagline. The tagline is, no happy campers here, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I like that. And then there's also a, a Finnish band called Children of Bodum. I'm not sure what kind of music it is. Polka. Like a hard metal sort of like that type of thing. I haven't, I didn't look into it enough. So if I'm wrong, let me know. If it's, it's most likely heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so that is the Lake Bodum murders of 1960, which some people seem to say inspired Friday the 13th. Well, do you think this is like sort of the murder case in Finland or? I think it is. Is like the. It's like their OJ Simpson, Manson. They're number one, like unsolved for mm-hmm. sure. Like their cold case type one, you know. That no one else has ever murdered again, probably, because it's an and then, amazing country. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and then everybody lived happily ever after right. for real this time. So the whole mystery is really just, what is murder? I don't understand. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I do think it seems unique. I mean, I guess I err on the side of maybe it wasn't the boyfriend just because of those other people. It just seems really, I'm just trying to envision how that all works, but um, I haven't done the research like you've done, but. And I still like, there's not a lot to it. Cause again, it was 1960. It's a, it was in Finland, but it's pretty terrifying. You they just think you're going to go and have a nice night and go camping by the by the lake and you get bludgeoned. So that is that. So what are we going to talk about next, you think? Well, it's... Uh, if we get back on track and get back on schedule. Yeah, I think we will. I think <laughs> now that I have my microphone, I feel like, you know, the, we're wide open. We're debating a th- few things. Uh, you know, we're debating. Maybe we should leave it up to the listeners and we could do a poll. Would you listen to Jurassic Park, two t- different trilogies? Which I know aren't exactly horror movies. If they're monster movies, how about that? They are monster movies. Yeah. In fact, my grandmother, I remember when she... When we first saw Jurassic Park in the theater, you know, we went the second weekend, my family, but my grandmother had gone the first weekend and she says, don't see it. It's just a monster movie. And we were thinking, ooh. Because <laughs> back then it was like Spielberg and you thought, oh, it's going to be like a friendly dinosaur movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> like in the, in the trailers gave away very little. I don't know if you remember that, but the trailers didn't I don't. Have... We'll have to watch the trailers and, and talk about that too. Well, all right. Well, that is our episode. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank and... you. I hope you like my new microphone sound. And then in the meantime, you know, talk to us on our social medias let us know if you have a theory on what happened in finland in 1960 and um i guess that'll do it i'll do it good night good night one way i thought about that was because it's the world of chess that they're oh my god, oh god. <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> He scared me more than he scared you. I thought, why, who's in your house, Chris? That's what I was actually thinking. Oh, my gosh. Good night. Hey, Chris. Hey, can you hear us? <laughs> he's growing oh a COVID God. beard. Yeah, he's got a COVID beard. <laughs>